Well, welcome to the jar. We're so glad you're here, and I'm so grateful for Gary's story. What a uh, powerful story, and uh, seeing what God has done in his life and in his marriage and his family, and uh, we're so proud of Gary, and uh, he and I have become uh, really good friends, and I know that uh, God's going to use him in some great ways. Um, today we're, we're looking at uh, giving a second chance. And what does it look like to give a second chance? Several weeks ago, I was with my uh, daughter, Jordan, and uh, I had just picked her up from school and had, uh, you know, on the kindergarten kids, they let them out first, and uh, so they run out, and it, it's always amazing to me. Kindergarten kids run to their parents, and they're so glad to see them. Once you hit first grade, you're like, oh, great, you know? But Jordan's in that age where she's really excited, and so she, she ran out, and I picked her up and uh, put her into um, uh, her car seat, and I looked at her and I said, Jordan, do you want to go get some ice cream? And her big blue eyes just like sparkled, and she's like, seriously, Daddy? I'm like, yeah. She's like, absolutely. So um, we start heading off to Dairy Queen. Now, what you need to know is that my wife... Uh, who was up here right before me, she is a health nut. Like, we eat healthy. She makes wonderful, healthy meals. And uh, she even reads studies on, like, kids' brain development. So uh, since they were, even, like, when they were in the womb, she would eat certain foods so that their brains would, you know, uh, really become uh, as intelligent as they could. And I'm afraid they're going to be geeks. So... What I try to do is I try to take them to places like Dairy Queen, McDonald's, and uh, Barry Winkle to try to make sure that they'll have social skills, you know, too. And so uh, I, I said, Jordan, let's go. And we headed to Dairy Queen. And so we get to Dairy Queen, and uh, I get a strawberry sundae because strawberries are healthy, right? And so I get that. It's like all syrup. And like two strawberries, you know what I mean? But anyway, I I get the strawberry sundae, and uh, Jordan goes ahead and she gets a chocolate ice cream cone. And typically, we don't let our kids uh, eat ice cream cones uh, in the car, but I decided, hey, you know, it's kind of a daddy-daughter thing. And so I said, Jordan, you can eat your ice cream cone in the car. I just want you to be real careful, hold it with two hands, and make sure, you know, you don't drop it. And she's like, really, Dad? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Mom won't get mad. Uh, No, 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 no. Let's not tell mom. You know what I mean? (laughs) So she's back there, you know, like slopping up this ice cream cone and everything's going really well. And I'm just enjoying it. And I'm driving. And all of a sudden I look in my rearview mirror and I see something flying uh, over. You know what it was? The ice cream cone. Yeah. And uh, I hear this little mouse voice in the back. "Uh, Daddy, I... I dropped my ice cream cone. And I'm like, you what? Are you serious? I just told you. Two hands. So I pull up into this parking lot. You know, I, you know, you kind of ram the gear shift up like you know you're a real man. And then I get out of the car and there's a six-year-old in the back. And I open up the door and I'm like, where's it at? And she's like, it fell under my seat. How can it fall under your seat? You know what I mean? It must have been one of these things where she threw it, you know? So I'm down there and I'm looking for it. And I finally find the ice cream. You know, there's like all of her 
uh, cereal stuff now on there. You know, it's like we didn't have to pay for sprinkles. You know what I mean? It's just like automatically there. So I'm like trying to get some of that off. And um, I look at it, and it's really just a small little spot. It hadn't melted very much. But I just looked at her, and I go, Jordan, I'm so disappointed in you. I told you to hold it. And she's like, I know, Dad, I'm sorry. And I was like, I should take this thing and throw it in the grass. She's like, oh, Dad, don't do that, don't do that. And I'm like, well, I don't know. We'll just have to wait until we get home. So I'm, I'm driving, and I'm kind of frustrated. And all of a sudden, I look in the rearview mirror again, and here's this little six-year-old. And she's not saying anything, but she's got these tears coming down her face. Oh, yeah, you're all saying all. You know what I'm thinking at that time? <laughs> See, you always say all afterwards, but in the moment, I'm like, good for you. You deserve this. You know what I mean? Like, like you dropped the ice cream cone. Like, how could you do that? I warned you. And uh, so we, we get to, the, uh, to our driveway, and I pull up, and all of a sudden, I have this image of my wife's face giving me a look in my head. How many of you guys know what that look looks like, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's confession. I didn't even, the first, the first whole race, I didn't say raise your hand. They were just like, hey, yeah. So I got this look in my mind, and this is what the look says. You little no good dad, you know? You hard-hearted, cynical person. She dropped an ice cream cone. Who cares? People drop stuff all the time. You've dropped some stuff, and like all of these recordings are going on in my head. So we pull into the garage, and I get out of the car, and I did something that I've done multiple times with Jordan. And I opened the car door, and I said, Jordan, I just want to ask for your forgiveness. I said, Daddy was wrong. He should have never yelled. He shouldn't have threatened to throw something in the grass. And, uh, hey, You know, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And she said, oh, yeah, Daddy, I'll forgive you. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry I dropped the ice cream cone. Will you forgive me? And I'm like, well, let me think about it. (laughs) No, 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 no. I, I actually said, yeah, you know, of course I forgive you. And in that moment, folks, there was an interchange between me and my daughter in which there was receiving and giving of a second chance. And I've told my girls multiple times since then, your heavenly father is perfect. Your earthly father, not so much. You know? And um, ever since they were toddlers, I've never had a problem of when I've uh, raised my voice, when I've done something that I'm not very proud of, of being able to look them straight in the face and to be able to say, hey, I blew it. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Folks, we all go through this kind of thing of receiving and giving second chances. And uh, all of you know what it's like to receive and give forgiveness. And the reality is, for some of you right now, that's going really well in your homes. And uh, there's forgiveness, and it flows, and it's great. But I have a feeling that for more of you than not, uh, the forgiveness piece is not going so great. And the issues that you're struggling with right now are a lot more than a dropped ice cream cone in the back seat of a car and whatever that thing is it's hanging over your head and you're overwhelmed and all of a sudden there's bitterness and there's resentment and there's unforgiveness in your heart and it's gotten a foothold in your life in fact in the new testament there's a writer by the name of paul 
And he wrote over half the New Testament. He's considered one of Jesus' closest followers. And this is what he said. Um, He says, do not give the devil, do not give Satan a foothold. And do you know what he describes when he's talking about getting a foothold here in this particular passage? He's talking about bitterness in your heart. Because bitterness and unforgiveness is a way that Satan can take that, according to the Bible, and he can make a foothold in your heart and in your life. Now, this is a huge area. Because maybe some of you have gone through a divorce, or you've gone through a breakup, or you have gone through uh, some kind of hurt in your life. And whoever the person is that has caused this, you have been wronged, uh, you know they've treated you wrong, and they don't treat you well, they don't, maybe don't, they don't treat your kids very well. And every time you think about them, the thing that comes to your mind is that I hate that person. Every time you see them, you want to get back at them. You want to get revenge. You want to take over them. And you're like, I just can't stand them. Maybe it's your employer. Maybe you've been working for someone for a very long period of time, and you get there early, and you stay late, and everything seems like it's going well. But you put in all the time, you do the grind day in and day out, and there's no more money, and there's no vacation, and nobody knows, and nobody notices, and nobody cares. And you just start thinking in your mind that this employer is the big, bad, evil boss. And you can't stand them. But what it's doing in your heart is that your heart's getting hardened and you, you just feel so bitter. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Or maybe it's a friend. And a friend has stabbed you in the back and you just can't believe that they did that. And there's this resentment and bitterness within you. Or maybe it's a family member. And you know, like last Thanksgiving, they uh, put you on the spot and embarrassed you in front of everybody. And you're like saying to yourself, I'm going to get them back this Thanksgiving. And in your mind, you're thinking, how can I go about doing that? And that bitterness grows and it grows and it grows. So today, what I want to talk about is... How important it is for us not only to receive a second chance, but also to give second chances to people who've hurt us. Now, let me say this. Whoever you give a second chance, they don't deserve it, do they? People who hurt us, they never deserve it, most of the time. But regardless of whether or not they deserve it, it's still up to you to give them a second chance. I love this uh, powerful quote by Anne Lamont. It'll come up on the side screen. It says, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Who is it killing when you have bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness towards someone? Who does it kill? It kills you. They could care less. You're mad and angry and resentful and bitter and you're not going to forgive them. And they've like moved on. They're like, Doing their own thing. But what are you doing? You're getting more angry. You're getting more uptight and bitter. And, I mean, 
seriously, years are coming off some people's lives because you just can't control it. In fact, I just want to say this, that for some of you, the most dangerous spiritual thing that you're going through right now is not the temptations in your life, and it's not the anger in your life, and it's not even the destructive habits that you have in your life. You know what the most dangerous spiritual thing that's going on in some of your lives? Unforgiveness. Because when you don't forgive, folks, it affects every other area of your life. It affects your marriage. It affects your relationships. It affects your work. It affects your friendships. It affects everything. And if you let that bitterness grow, and it keeps growing more and more, what happens is, all of a sudden, I'm bitter with you. Now I'm not only bitter with you, now I'm bitter with you. Now I'm bitter with you, and now I'm bitter with you. I'm bitter with you, bitter with you, bitter with you. Pretty soon you're like bitter with everybody. And you get home after work and you turn on the TV and you're angry at the news. Ah! And then you look at the health care thing. And then that gets your heat all up. And you're like, ah! You get more bitter. And then pretty soon you start thinking about your boss and what they said. And you get more bitter. And finally, you get upset with the neighbor because, you know, they didn't mow their grass right. Or they didn't, you know, they, they sh- this is coming, right? They're going to take their snow and they're going to put it in your driveway. And you get bitter and you get mad. Pretty soon you're walking around your house. You don't even see it. And you see the cat and you kick the cat. And why is that? Because way back years ago, you started the bitterness pill. And you've been taking the bitterness pill every single day. (laughs) And folks, let me ask you something. If you're an a bitter and resentful and unforgiving person, what kind of people do you attract? (laughs) Same thing, right? That's the kind of people that you attract. And then you get together and you have your own little bitter pity parties. Oh, boy, you know what? My life sucks. Not as bad as mine, man. Let me tell you about mine. And then you go back and forth. It's like a ping pong of how bitter you are at everybody. You know, some of you right now... This is the truth. You want to get real is that some of you are in marriages and relationships right now and you think everything's fine. But if we were to ask your partner or your spouse how things are, they're like, you know what? I can't take it anymore. They are so bitter. They're angry. I just can't hardly stand it. I haven't told them yet, but I'm thinking about getting out. And how does this happen? One day you wake up and it clicks. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. You see, most of the time, folks, when relationships go south, it's not because of some big, gigantic, huge thing that happens, but it's all these little things over time of bitterness that uh, continues to go over and over again. And finally a person says, I've had it. I'm done with it. I'm out of here. And what I'm just saying is that you don't have to get to that point. You can begin starting today of dealing with some of that stuff in your life so that you learn how to be a forgiving person. So here's the big idea that I want all of us to get this morning. And it's this. Receiving a second chance from God sets us free, but giving a second chance keeps us free. Okay? Receiving a second chance, it sets us free, but giving a second chance, that's what keeps us free. 
So for the rest of our time, what I want to do is talk about how you can stay free in your life. Now, throughout this series, we've been talking about Galatians, uh, which is a book in the Bible in the New Testament, the second half, a guy by the name of Paul wrote it. Now, why do I believe that this has truth to it? Because not just Paul said it, but he sat underneath Matthew and Mark, he traveled with Luke, he knew John, and he understood the teachings of Jesus. So Paul, he goes out, and he starts these churches in Galatia, and all these churches are going great. They're growing, lives are being changed, people are being encouraged. I mean, uh, people are coming to Christ, they're living in community, everything's going well. And then there is a group of people who are known as Judaizers who come in and they disrupt the unity. And what they taught was, yes, Jesus is important, but Jesus is not enough. What you need is to follow all these rules and regulations in the Old Testament. All these little, small, minor, ceremonial, and civil laws. Not the big things like Ten Commandments. We know that crosses over to both. But little, small things like different fibers that you have to wear. and uh, You can only walk uh, at certain times. And you can't do anything on a Sabbath and all of this kind of stuff. And so what they're getting across is they're saying, you know, if you want to get in good with God, you've got to obey all of the law. But this whole thing with Jesus and the cross, it's not quite as important. Now, there's this group, the law-abiding group, law-only group, but there's another group within this church as well, and they're called the free-willing type of people. They're what I call the YOLO group. You only live once. Right? Some of you know the YOLOs, right? How many? No, I won't have you raise your hand. But anyways, you know these people. You only live once. Man, you only live once. Let's go out and pate, hate. And let's go from this bar to this bar to this bar. And hopefully I'll hook up with someone at this bar. And we can go do something this night. And then I'll go to the next bar the next night. And we'll hook up. And I mean, we are just going to go and do our own Dang, do whatever you want. Why? Man, you know what that bunch is saying all the time? God loves you. He forgives you. It doesn't matter what you do. God loves you. And Paul comes in. He's like, whoa, both of you are wrong. One extreme is wrong because of how they're acting and they're legalists. And the other extreme is wrong because what they have done, they have taken this treasure called grace. And they put it down on the ground and they just kind of stomped on it and said, it's cheap and it doesn't matter. And God has set us free. And why did he set us free? Not so we have to follow a whole bunch of laws, not because we can go off and do our own thing, but he set us free so that we could serve and love other people. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. In other words, don't abuse it. But instead, let's read this last together. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in in what? In love. So God gives us a second chance, not so we can say, I'm free, I can do whatever I want, but so that we can serve other people. And that is a beautiful picture. He's basically saying, don't use your freedom 
to try to think that if you obey all of these different laws that that does it, and don't use your freedom on the other end to do whatever you want, but use your freedom to serve other people in love, just like Jesus did. So how can we give a second chance to other people? Well, first of all, uh, Paul says this, remember your freedom. He says it's very, very important that you remember your freedom. Now, last week I shared with you that I married into a household of dog lovers. Um, I don't hate dogs, but I just don't want to have a dog or have to take care of a dog. Um, So uh, we don't have dogs. But my in-laws, they have had four dogs uh, since I first knew, knew them. They had Buffy and Taffy and Sparky, and now they have this one, Joey. And just like last week, some of you are like, oh, he has a bark like a jet engine. You can never take a nap on holidays if that thing is in the house, okay? But that's Joey. Now, they've always treated their dogs really, really well. In fact, sometimes, for the first 15 years, I kind of thought it was like the daughters, the dog, and then me. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I rank. It's kind of like my father-in-law. He never said this, but in his mind, he was thinking to himself, the dog was here before you, and the dog will be here after you. You stole my daughter. Dog didn't steal anything, but you took my daughter away from me. And uh, I'll never forget, one of the first Christmases I celebrated with their family, we're all opening presents, and all of a sudden they said, well, let's bring in the dogs. And I thought it was like, you know, who let the dogs out? Who? Like, I thought it was a song that they did or something. But that wasn't it. All of a sudden, they get under the Christmas tree, wrapped presents for the dogs. And they're like tearing it open. Some of you are laughing because you do it too, don't you? And you have like these stocking stuffers and the dogs' names on there. And it's like, and I'm thinking, what is up, you know? But this is the thing that I noticed. These dogs were taken care of really, really well. And I'll never forget, my mother-in-law, when she would fill up their water bowl, she, like, took Avion or Dasani or, you know, like, it wasn't tap water. This was filtered stuff that was, like, the best water. But this is what I found. Every time that I would go use the restroom, I would walk in and I would see one of these dogs over the toilet. And the dogs are over the toilet, and they're like, you know what? Uh, I love me some toilet water, you know? Like, I could have anything else. And they have clean, distilled, you know, perfect, Dasani, whatever kind of water downstairs. No, 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 no. I want toilet water. And I'm thinking to myself, seriously? And two thoughts came to me. The first one was this. That's gross. You know, that is just absolutely gross. And here's the second thing. I look over and my wife is kissing that dog and she's kissing me later on. And I'm like, seriously? I mean, a dog can have a nice, full, filtered water in its bowl. And it'll be like, no, 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 no. I want some toilet water. Like, I want toilet water. You know, the bizarre choice got me to thinking that many human beings do the exact same thing. 
In Joey's case, he could drink from the toilet, but just because he can do it doesn't mean he should do it. Just because he can do it doesn't mean he ought to do it, right? Folks, we've been set free because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that freedom is a gift. It is a free gift to every single human being. It had a huge cost for Jesus. It took his exact life. But it is free to you and I. But just because you're free doesn't mean you can do anything you want. Nor does it mean that you should do anything that you want. Because every time that you choose unforgiveness, it's like you're drinking the water out of the toilet bowl rather than choosing to drink in his forgiveness. I mean, you can drink out of the toilet bowl, but it's not the wisest way to live your life. And Paul's saying, live in the freedom that God has given. He's given it to you. Has given to you. You know, during the past nine years as I pastored uh, the jar, I have been uh, called by different family members, friends, uh, to go visit uh, one of their loved ones at the jail. And uh, I can't think of a time that I've ever said no. Um, and they call and I'll say, hey, you know, I can't do it today, but I could do it tomorrow. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. And I'll go and I'll visit people at the jail. And as I've connected with them, th- this is one of the learnings that's come to me, is that there are a lot of people who are physically behind bars, but they are spiritually free. And there are a lot of people who are physically free, but they're spiritually in prison. They're spiritually behind bars. And the reason they're behind bars, folks, is because they have not let go of the bitterness and the resentment and the unforgiveness in their heart, and they are in prison. And the stuff just keeps growing more and more and more. So you can be free, or you can be free and free. And folks, you and I have the freedom to stay free, but not only because we receive God's forgiveness, but that we actually pass it on. We give it away. We don't keep it to ourselves. We want to give it away. Because again, the big idea is so true, that receiving a second chance from God sets us free, but giving a second chance from God, that's what keeps us free. You know, I was thinking about it this week that if I took all the moral filth in my life and what I've done to God, that that is so much and that he chooses to say, I forgive you, Chris. Why would I try to hold on to something that I could forgive to other people. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, God is willing to forgive us for anything and everything that we've done. And sometimes we just don't pass it on to anybody else. And it cheapens the grace. And if God was willing to forgive us of this incredible debt, then how can we not forgive people who've hurt us, who have wronged us, who have damaged us? And listen, folks, even if they don't deserve it, and many of the people who have hurt you and caused problems, they don't deserve it, do they? 
But even if they don't deserve it, you need to give it because when you forgive them, you're the one who gets set free. It begins to set you free, and you've got to remember your freedom. Here's the second thing. You respond with love. You respond with love. Second way to give people a second chance is you respond with love. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this. And uh, let's read this out loud together. For the whole law can be summed up with this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Now this language of biting, devouring, destroying, in the Greek, it actually, the original language of the New Testament was written in Greek. And what it actually uh, can be meaning is consuming. In other words, uh, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, as we throw it out towards other people, it doesn't just devour them, but it devours us. It consumes us. Now, uh, up here during our whole time, I've had some snickerdoodle cookies. And uh, I love snickerdoodle cookies. How, How many of you? like snickerdoodle cookies. Raise your hand. You are the brightest people in here right now, okay? The smartest people right here. Now, how many of you like chocolate chip cookies? Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Good. How many of you like peanut butter cookies? Okay, that's good. And um, how many of you just like sugar cookies? Like any sugar? You guys are messed up. You know what I mean? Like, That's just like taking sugar and flour and just, you know what I mean? Like, you don't even care. I just want my sugar high. I don't care what it is, just as long as it has sugar. Now, how many of you like oatmeal and raisin cookies? Raise your hand. Now, for me, that's not a cookie. That's a health food. You know what I mean? Like, that's not really it. But I got my buddy Jeremy here. I think he's going to come up. And uh, I invited Jeremy to come up to the stage. And everybody say hi to Jeremy. There you go. Uh, And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of show to you uh, how you respond or how you react when someone's eating your cookie. I mean, I don't get it, Jeremy. I mean, you just walked up here. I didn't offer them to you. I didn't say you have one. And you see what he's doing? He's just like eating my cookies. And I just, I don't get it. And so it kind of hurts me a little bit, but, you know, how am I going to react to him now because he's eating my cookies? Well, the first way that you can choose to react is you can pay back, you know? You can give some payback to that person. And uh, you know how payback works, right? Uh, payback is like, Jeremy, you're a jerk. I mean, here I had my cookies. You just walked up here and you just started eating my cookies. Like, what's up with that? You know, I'm going to take every crumb right out of that when I'm all done, you know? And... Uh, I'm going to take you out. You know, I hope that's good. You know, because these are my cookies. You just came up here and you just took my cookies. Now, I bet you know some people in your life that they do that, right? They come into your life and they just just take your cookies. So you want to pay them back. But payback doesn't ultimately work, does it? I mean, you want the other person to feel the exact same pain. Like, I wish I had a snickerdoodle right now, but no, he's taking it. So I'm going to make him pay. The problem is, every time that you try to do that, no matter what pain that person caused you, you'll never be able to have the exact amount of pain to pay them back. 
Now, another way we sometimes uh, are impacted or we react to people when uh, we have had our cookies stolen or, or uh, you know, they've hurt us is guilt trip. Now, you all know uh, about guilt trips, right? Here's the second way we do that. Uh, guilt trip. And you know what guilt trip looks like? Hey, Jeremy, uh, hope you like those cookies. I mean, they're my cookies. I, I made them. And uh, I hope they sure taste good. I wish I had a cookie. That was like my favorite one that you took right there. And, uh, you know, I want you to know I forgive you. I do. But, you know, you took that cookie and, well, I hope you really like that cookie. I hope it tastes good to you because uh, that was my cookie and you just took it. And, uh, yeah. And it, that's, how, that's how good trips work, right? People just keep on talking about it over and over again. I mean, it could be two years from when he took my cookie, and all of a sudden we're at a, you know, we're talking about the Pacers. The Pacers are nine and one. They just lost their first game. Whoa, that wasn't good. They just lost their, uh, they just lost their uh, first. See, this is why when we have our own church, we have big stage. Now I won't do that. Anyways, um, so the Pacers just won, and all of a sudden you're talking about the Pacers and how great the Pacers are, and then all of a sudden I'm like. Hey, remember two years ago you uh, ate my cookie and I didn't give that. You know people like that, right? Like, and you're thinking to yourself, that was two years ago. And you just brought this out of the blue and you start making that person feel guilty. Now, a third way that we uh, often respond is we overtrust. We have overtrusting issues uh, with people. And uh, what happens with overtrusting is that you go up and you go, Jeremy, I, I know you ate one cookie, but now you've taken, like, more, and I guess it's okay, and you're my friend. and Man, but he, he, I just trusted him too much, and once I did, then he just took more and more and more. And I'm like, wow, I, I just gave him too much trust in the midst of that. But what happens when that happens is nothing changed. What we do is we just act like nothing changed. We're like, oh, you took my cookie. That's okay. Don't worry about it. It's no problem. It didn't hurt me. I, I trust you. you know, eat some more cookies if you want. And uh, it's all good. I forgive you. And You're like having a moment there, aren't you? You're like... <laughs> Like those cookies. And, and Jeremy's been uh, drumming at the jar. He's the first drummer we ever recruited. Literally, he came to church one Sunday. We found out he was a drummer. And we said, hey, you want to drum next week? And uh, Jeremy's been doing that for the past eight years. But you know, this over-trusting thing is, is that sometimes what happens is we equate forgiveness and trust as the same thing. And they're not the same thing. You see, just because... Uh, you forgive somebody, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to trust them at the same level anymore. And so finally, when we get to all of this over-trusting, we finally get to the point where we really want to get to, and that is, what does forgiveness finally look like? And with forgiveness, you look and you say, hey, Jeremy, you took my cookie, and hey, man, I forgive you. I love you. It's not a problem. But... uh, you know, we're going to have to work through this, and you just, you can't have 
any more of my cookies because they're my cookies and I, I love you, I forgive you, but I just can't trust you anymore with taking any of my cookies. And you see, that's how forgiveness, you know, actually works is that you don't trust the person at the same level, but you forgive them. And sometimes it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it takes counseling and, and other time uh, to kind of do that. And you might be, you know, laying in bed at night and you're like, oh, man, he, he took my cookie. But you know what, God, I'm going to release that person to you. And the process works. So, uh, hey, let's give Jeremy a hand uh, for helping us out today. (laughs) He just like took my cookies, man. Now, folks, what I just showed to you is a very lighthearted way of saying that there are some things in your life that are a lot bigger than cookies. But it can apply to every single area in your life. And what do you wrestle with? And so I want to close by giving you two practical things that you can do this week to start in your life. Steps on how to take toward forgiving people who hurt you. First of all, you pray for them daily. You pray for them daily. Daily, spend some time in prayer. The most powerful thing that I found in my own personal life when it comes to this whole area of forgiveness is when I start praying for people, my heart softens and I eventually can kind of release them. Now, granted, initially your prayer might be, oh God, please let them have a painless, meat-grinding accident. You know what I mean? Like that's your first prayer. Or maybe you're like, oh God, let them be hit by a meteor uh, so that they can know you better. You know what I mean? And, and initially, now see, that's why you're all laughing, because you're like, oh yeah. Because that's what we think, you know, initially. But the more that you pray for a person over and over again, eventually what happens is your heart softens. And this is what I found. You can't for too long pray to a loving God and be angry at everybody else around you. Eventually, the love takes over. And then you're softened and you're free and you release whoever that person is. And it doesn't mean that it's not like it didn't happen. He took your cookies. It's not like you become best buddies. It's not like you start hanging out. Forgiveness says, I relinquish my right to get back at that person. And I'm saying, you know, God, I release this person to you. I can't do it on my own, but I release them to you. You deal with it. You surrender it. I can't carry this around, God, so I'm giving it to you. Here's the second thing. You start with those who are close to you. If you remember in that passage of Scripture, Paul said, love your neighbors. And that word neighbor, actually, if you break the root down, it actually means close. Those who are close or near to you. And forgiveness studies show us that, guess what? The people who are the closest to us do what? They hurt us the most. And so we've got to start by being able to do that because that's the greatest opportunity for us to have freedom and we can begin to release them. And a lot of you folks today, maybe you have a laundry list. Like you could just start filling out tons and tons of names. And what I would say is just start small. Don't start huge. Just start small. Now, when you walked in today, uh, you should have received uh, in your program a card that looks like this. I'd like you to pull it out for a second. 
And if you didn't get one, just raise your hand and one of the uh, hospitality people can get one for you. So just raise your hand if you need one. But on the top of it, it says forgiveness. And it says, Lord, I want to forgive blank, whoever that person is. Help me to give them a second chance like you have given me a second chance. So this is how I thought we would close today. What I'm going to do here in just a second is I'm going to ask God to reveal to you who is the person that you need to forgive. Not the person you want to forgive, because you'll take the easiest one in the world. I'm going to forgive Joe, who took my backpack back in 1993. You don't even talk to Joe anymore. But whoever the person is that God wants you to forgive, that you write that person's name down. And then what I'm going to ask you to do is that eventually to come up here and you'll place your forgiveness card here at the foot of the cross. Because this is the thing. If God has forgiven the great weight of sin in your life, then how could you not forgive whoever it is that he's asking you to forgive uh, this morning? And... I was thinking about it today, or or throughout this week, and especially today, that some of you are so new to this whole God thing, and you're like, I haven't even accepted Christ yet as Lord of my life, and so it's going to be very hard for you to forgive. I mean, this exercise doesn't even work. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to be standing right over there on the other side of the screen, and if you've never accepted Christ as Lord, But you're like, I want his forgiveness in my life. Like, I have messed up a boatload, you know. And so I need to get his forgiveness first in my life. That you would come over there and you'd say, hey, I'll get right with God. And then you can take that card and you can bring it and drop whoever that is. And that in a symbolic way, when you leave today, you will not hold bitterness or resentment from that person, and not just symbolically, but in your heart, that I'm ready to let it go. And when you're done, if you can just come back to your chair, we'll we'll close with a, a song that shows about the forgiveness that God has given to us so that we then can forgive others. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for forgiving us so often of so many things in our lives. And I pray right now, God, whoever the person is that you want folks to forgive today, that you would give an image, you'd give them a name, that they would know that today is the day they've got to let this go that they've been given a second chance and now they need to give a second chance to someone else. And Jesus, I know they don't deserve it. I'm sure it'll be hard. They don't deserve it. They hurt us. They damaged us. They broke us in some way. But help us to remember, God, that nothing that we would forgive someone else even comes close to how you've forgiven us. So come, Holy Spirit, stir in the hearts of your people today. And God, for those who have never accepted you as Lord of their life, 
that today they would make that statement, they'd make that commitment. And then they would be able to not only be forgiven by you, but then to have the power from you to forgive others. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would move in this place, that you would remove any bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness.